Will you turn with me uh, to the prophecy of Isaiah, please? We're going to chapter 50 again. If you missed last week, I'll do two minutes of a recap, and it's a, it's a different message this morning, or this evening anyway, so you won't really miss too much of it. Isaiah chapter 50, please. And let's just read from verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I give my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire shall compass yourself, yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks that ye have kindled, this shall ye have of mine hand, ye shall lie down in sorrow. Wonderful portion of scripture. Even a strange portion of scripture. But let us pray. Father, we ask you now to take your word and inscribe it into all of our hearts. We ask you, Father, that you would settle us under this roof. And, O God, that your spirit would, Lord, teach us the ways of the Lord. Draw close to us that we might, Father, as your people, we might be in tune with you, close to you, walking with you. And Lord, if there is one, as has been prayed earlier this evening, who has not yet come to saving knowledge and faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus, I pray tonight that thy blessed Spirit would move upon them and glorify your holy name. We ask it for Jesus' sake and for his glory alone. Amen. Amen. Visions that Isaiah saw of the pre-incarnate and the incarnate Christ. Last week, briefly, we looked from verse 50, chapter 50, verse 1, pardon me. Thus saith the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? And he's speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. Remember, see, uh, Exodus 19, Yahweh, Jehovah, marries Israel, the foot of the mountain there. And then in 1 Kings chapter 11 and chapter 12, 
the kingdom is separated into two under Solomon's son Rehoboam and Jeroboam in the northern kingdom. And then the northern kingdom, it goes into sin and idolatry. And so God's wife, he marries them, carries them into Canaan land. They separate and God's wife has become adulterous in his sight. And so he gives her a bill of divorcement. We looked at it last week, sends her away. And it's the Assyrians come and take away the northern kingdom of the house of Israel. They're now divorced from God, sent away out of the marital home of Canaan land, And now God turns to the southern kingdom and through the prophet Isaiah. He says, basically, what he's saying here is, you're not yet divorced. You're still my wife. And he's telling them to walk with him. See, there are backslidden people. And I'm wondering, am I speaking to a backslidden person here tonight? Backslidden away from God. And the Lord has said, I have blessed you, I have helped you, I have kept you, I've walked in the ways with you, and yet I'm still with you. Will you turn on to me? Will you turn with all of your heart to me? And notice here in verse 2, he says, Wherefore when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? In other words, the Lord here is coming as a husband home, And he is shamefully treated and totally disrespected. And it causes anger to rise up in his face. And the pronouncement of his authority over the house of Judah, the southern kingdom. And he says, look, I've come and I've called you like a husband coming home. And his wife not answering. No children to greet me. None want to know me. Picture of Ulster today, isn't it? Picture of our land today, isn't it? Picture of the United Kingdom today. And it's getting worse where the Lord is calling. The Lord is speaking through his word. The Lord is sending forth preachers, whether it's in street or pulpit or pew. And he's bringing them into the workplace and calling men and saying, your sin, your transgressions to men and women... Your spiritual adultery and your idolatry says you need to come to me and turn to me with all of your heart and I will heal you. Just as Rebecca sang, I come broken, I I come all of these things that are uh, a person is when they're unsaved, that they're broken and they're in their sin and they don't realize that their hope and their help is all in the Lord Jesus Christ. And hence he, he's like a husband who comes home and no one is to greet him at the door None to answer him when he shouts hello up the hallway. None want to know the Lord. And in verse 3, look at what he says. I clothe the heavens with blackness. And I make sackcloth their coverings. The thing about this is, is, that's what we deserve. Blackness of darkness forever because of our sin. And the Lord says, I make the blackness and the difference is we are, we are looking at this to see Christ in this. We are looking at this because Isaiah, as we seen last week, saw the Lord on his throne in Isaiah 6, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple and the seraphims around him. And we talked about the glory of Christ. And then in Isaiah 53, he talks about Isaiah, the, the pre-incarnate on the throne, the glorious God. 
And then in 53 talks about the Lamb of God, the man Christ Jesus, the son hanging and bleeding and dying. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with the stripes we are healed. And hence we looked at that last week. But God says to us in verse 3, I clothe the heavens with blackness. I make sackcloth their covering. And we should be in the place of blackness and darkness forever simply because of our sin and our our our, our genes of adam we're of adam's race and adam's fall with adam's death in us but if you take note even though the lord says i clothe the heavens with blackness and i make sackcloth their covering sackcloth speaks of grief of grief When people were in deep grief and mourning, even in repentance, even in repentance, they put sackcloth on and it etched them. It made them feel like their heart was feeling. It was agitating them. It it kept them, as it were, alive and awake under their sin and their repentance before God. And there's sorrow that this thing is on them. Please, can I take this off? And the Lord says, if I must bring a spirit of repentance upon a people, then I will do it. And God brings a person. God brings a people. God can bring a nation. God can bring you down to rock bottom. Until you realize this is the place of sackcloth. This is the place where you cannot rescue nor lift yourself out of. Only the grace of God can reach you. Only the blood of Christ can cleanse you. And only the Holy Ghost can take you and seal you. The Lord says in verse 3, I clothe the heavens with blackness and darkness. Notice this. That which should have been ours, the blessed Christ, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, Hanging on Calvary's tree. For three hours, the Lord made the sky turn to blackness. I want you to catch this, for this is important. As Christ was bleeding and dying on the cross, burying away our sin in his own body on the tree, the punishment and the penalty of it, there as he hangs between heaven and earth in agonies, And in pain and suffering, the sky turns black. The Lord says, I clothe the heavens with blackness. And that blackness which was yours, the wrath and the judgment of God, and the blackness, the wrath of God which was mine, the blessed Son, the incarnate Christ, the Lamb of God, the heart of the Father, hanging between heaven and earth takes the blackness for those of us who will trust in him. He done it for you. He paid it all for you. Christ is in all the scriptures. He's the one who breathes forth to the apostles then becomes the word incarnate made flesh and dies for us in our room instead. Notice this. The Lord says in verse 4, 5, and 7, 
Notice in verses 4, 5, and 7, and in 9, the Lord God hath given me, verse 4, the Lord God hath opened mine ear, verse 5, for the Lord God will help me, verse 7, behold, the Lord God will help me, in verse 9. The Lord God does it. You see, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is completely and totally of the Lord. The word here for Lord God in verses 4, 5, 7, and 9. The word here for Lord is Adonai, the great master, the great in power. And the word God for the Lord God in every one of these verses is Yahweh or Yahweh in the Hebrew, which is, or Y-H-W-H, you would see Jehovah, Yahweh God. And so it is Adonai, Yahweh. He's going to do these things. In other words, he is Christ and Christ is he. One and the same with the Father. He said, he is him. And he will do it. It speaks also of the life of Christ. The incarnate Christ prophesying through Isaiah. Notice what he says here in verse 4, if you will. For the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Notice, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. I mentioned this this morning of how they came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and those uh, of the temple guard coming to arrest him go back again without bringing him with them. And when asked where he was, they said, never man speak like this man. And the words of Christ were so deep and full of revelation that they even forgot to arrest him. They found they couldn't. Because the Lord God had given him the tongue of the learned. It's not the learned from the rabbi, but the learned from the father. He's given him revelation of the things of glory and of heaven. And here we can see the pattern of the the spirit of prophecy. Uh, In the book of Revelation, John tells us under the spirit's anointing that that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, when the spirit is prophesying, it's Christ all the way through the word of God. We have the spirit word. We have the written word. And Christ is the flesh word, the word incarnate. It was with God and is God with the Father. And we find here that he's saying, The prophet is saying under the spirit and anointing of the Holy Ghost, he's saying, for the Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned. And little does he know that he's speaking of the coming Christ. Never man speak like this man. Would you turn with me to Isaiah 61, please? I want to show you some of his language before we go further. The language of the spirit of God, the language of the spirit of prophecy, and it's the testimony of Jesus. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, please. The spirit of the Lord, notice capital S, for the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, 
of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound. That's what Rebecca was saying. It was, I come broken, I come weary, and I can't remember Rebecca, but I know it was all that sort of thing. And this is the language of Christ. How he takes the worst of the worst and the lowest of the lowest. He takes the men and women who are broken, absolutely devastated in life, and those who are good and religious, who need saved, who need fixed, who need helped, who need strength greater than their own and power that they don't have. And he takes them and he washes them from their sin and he cleanses them in his precious blood. And he gives to them his Holy Spirit. But notice here, what language is this? What language is this? Because in this day, it's all about the law. We keep the law. Listen, yes, in our hearts it is written, of course. But it's about the law, the law. And we're failing every time. For even as it was read this morning around the table, no man is justified by the law. Because the law, we fail at it. But this speaks of grace. This speaks of mercy. This speaks of unmerited favor. Notice what he says in verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Notice this. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. The need of preaching for men and women to get right with God and to be saved. Turn with me to Luke 4 for a moment, would you please? Luke's Gospel chapter 4, if you will. And if you just let your eye run down for me, please, to verse 18. The Lord Jesus has been baptized in the water by John the Baptist. He's he's been in the wilderness, tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. He comes out in the power of the Holy Ghost. He comes out in the power of the Spirit. And he goes to the synagogue Notice what it says in verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Notice, Everyone's eyes were fastened on him. Uh, the word fastened is the word atenizo. It's where we get our word attention. Atenizo, fastened on him. It was like attention. That's where it reads. Everyone's eyes were boring holes in him. Fascinated by Christ. Fascinated by the words that he came with. The words of grace. The words of mercy, of health and of healing for the people. But notice how he finishes in verse 19 to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he gives the book to the attendant and he sits down. 
Now there's something missing here, brothers and sisters, because in Isaiah 61, and he takes this from Isaiah, in fact, the, 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 first, the verses before that tell us that he opens and finds a scroll, and he looks at Isaiah where there's no chapters in it, but he takes and he looks up and down the scroll in the synagogue, and he finds the book of Isaiah. And here's where Isaiah says this. Speaking of me here, he says, this is the spirit of prophecy testifying about me. That's what he's doing here. It was the, the, the pre-incarnate Christ speaking through the prophet of his incarnation coming to save us. But notice this in Luke chapter 4 and verse 19. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closes the book and gave it again to the minister. What's missing? Here's what's missing. On the day of vengeance of our God. From Isaiah chapter 61. He doesn't read that bit. He stops to preach the acceptable year of the Lord on the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all them that mourn in Zion is the rest of it. He doesn't preach that. And I'll tell you why. Because he's ushering in grace that whosoever believes in him should not perish. But the day of vengeance of God is coming. But we're still in the window, as it were, the day, the hour of grace. He doesn't preach this at this point. He closes the book or he rolls up the scroll and he gives it to the attendant and he takes it. And the eyes are fastened on him. Atanizo. They pay attention to his words. They pay attention to his words. They don't take their eyes off him. We could learn from this, you know. Pay attention to his word tonight. See the Christ who died for you. And don't take your eyes off him for a moment. May he fascinate us tonight. May he fascinate us. Will you go with me back to Isaiah 50, please? Isaiah 50, and we'll go to verses 5 and 6. Notice here in verse 5, The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Think of this. Think about this. The Lord God hath opened mine ear. Now you and I are going to be thinking, that the Lord God has opened mine ear means that he opens our ears to hear. This isn't what it means here. The Father has his ear in perfect submission. He doesn't need to open his ear, the ear of Christ. But rather the opening of the ear here was the sign of a love slave. It was the sign of an ear piercing of a love slave. Opening up the flesh. He says, I am like the doulos, the, the love slave. So it's not I'm opening my ears so that I can hear the Father. He was always in oneness and unison of the Spirit with God. He is God. 
But as a man, he has to come in under the subjection of God's word and law to keep it for us. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus 21. I know we're flicking about a bit tonight. Exodus 21. I want you to see this of the love slave. Just a few verses, please. I do hope that I have written the right one down. Verse 5, please. If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall bring him to the door, and unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. This is what the prophet is speaking of. When a Hebrew slave, now notice a Hebrew slave, and he's had to pay off debts, so you went into, uh, into a servitude to pay off your debts. And if they had family there while they were there, well, they hadn't paid off debts for everyone then. But he was free to go. And if the Hebrew slave says, I love my master, I want to stay with my master, I want to serve my master, then the master took him to the judges into the gate or to the, if you want, the city council. And there before the judges, he got an awl, a large nail, and he took his ear to the door or the door frame, door post, and he put it against it and he nailed him to the door. And he opened his ear. That's what you call opening the ear. He bore his ear with an awl. And he nails him to the door. And then he takes it out and there's a mark and there's blood. It's a blood covenant. It's a blood covenant with his master. And you see, this representing the coming Christ for the spirit of prophecy, testifying of Jesus, the pre-incarnate to the incarnate Christ. Speaking of himself, he's saying, mine ear will be opened and I will become what's known as a doulos or a love slave. In other words, I will come down and take on a body of flesh and I will walk in the ways of my Father. And I will keep the law that they cannot keep. And I will live a life that they cannot live. And he will open my ears that were in ours. I will be in total and full subjection to the Father. Listen to Philippians 2, please. Verse 7. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, it says, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a doulos, a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. This is known as the kenosis chapter, the kenosis passage of the scripture, coming of Christ. Listen, he was always God. People say God only came into him when he was born or God came into him when he was at baptism. Listen, he was the word of the Father before the words were. He's very God from very God. He's the Son of God. He was always God, but he laid aside his majesty that he might be made and fashioned like unto a man, unto a human being like you and I. He became a love slave of his own father that he might pay our debt. That he might pay your debt 
that he might pay my debt. In verse 6, if you look at it, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and from spitting. And if you would turn with me again, please, then to Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. Mark's Gospel, please, chapter 15. And I looked at this and read it again before I come out this afternoon. And I was lost in it. I was absolutely lost in it. I read about him being tried in a quango court, arrested and brought and tried and beaten and whipped and marred and bruised and battered, mauled and manhandled for your sake and mine. And I just got lost in it. If you let your eye run down, please, the chapter to verse 14. Mark 15 and 14. Then Pilate said unto him, unto them, that is unto the Jews, why what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus. Notice, when he had scourged him. When he had scourged him. In other words, when he had him whipped. When he had his back lacerated with the Roman flagellum, short handle, with the lashes of leather, and sewn into it were bits of bone and metal and lead. And there across the whole back and the buttocks and the back of the legs, there he would have been whipped. And he would have been whipped and the, 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 the barbs of the, the metal and the lead would have sunk deep into his flesh. And on, on, the, on the retreat of the, of the very flagellum whip, it would have tore the flesh out of Christ. Tore the back out of Christ. And many men uh, died at this point. They, they died at the whipping post. Didn't make it anywhere else. They died there. But the courage of Christ. The courage of the Savior, that the strength of the Lord. There, many a back, you'd have seen the, the organs functioning just about, and even then being whipped inside, the kidneys being lacerated with the whip. The lungs would be pulsating as they're breathing their last breath, and you could see some of them as they uh, uh, through the rib cage with no flesh on it. Totally took the shreds. And the whip would have went into the lungs, into the kidneys, and tore it out. And he died there. And Christ went through the whipping. When he had scourged him, he sent him to be crucified. You see, three times he brings them out to the Jews. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in this man. Brings him out when he's actually beaten and battered and bruised. And he says, I find no fault. What will you you today? I do. And they say, crucify him, paraphrasing for time. And listen, he brings him out one time and he says, behold the man. You know, sounds, it's very sanitized. 
It's all very sanitized. Well, they're bringing you out. And if you have the Hollywood movie style and this little bit of dripping blood and, and some effeminate looking Christ standing there, all, all holy and reverent looking, you know, with hardly a mark upon him, maybe a little scrape or a bruise here and there. And Pilate would come and say, behold the man. You know, as if he's just presenting. That's not the way it happened. Because the idea in the original text is there was going to be a riot in Jerusalem if he wasn't crucified. They were going to turn the city upside down. It was Passover. And how dare he say that he was the Lamb of God? How dare he say that he was the Son of God? How dare he say he would destroy their temple? Crucify him! And if you don't crucify him, we're going to destroy the inner city of Jerusalem. That's the idea in the original Greek. And Pilate brings them out. What evil have they done? He makes himself equal with God. He says that he's a king. But Pilate brings them out. And it's not, behold, you man. He brings them out to them. And Pilate goes, and this is the way it reads in the original text. Behold the man. Behold him. And look at him. That's the way the original text reads. And what Pilate's saying, and I say this in reverence, but it's true. Look at the specimen of a man he is now. He's torn to bits. He's battered and bruised. He's gave us back to the smiggers. They've pulled out the very hairs of his beard. They have spat on him, man's rotten, filthy spittle running down his beautiful face. Congealed, rotten, stinking breath of a spittle of man, full of germs and disgusting disease running down his face. And Pilate says, Look at him! Has he not had enough? Look at him, has he not done enough? I ask you, brothers and sisters and friends tonight, will you take a fresh look at him? Will you stop for a minute and take another look at him? And you know what? He hadn't done enough. Because he had to go to the cross to save me. He's seen me in my sin. He's seen you in your sin. He's seen the need. He's seen the depraved state of man, fallen and destitute, unable to lift himself up. Oh, we couldn't even lift a little fingernail to help ourselves in salvation. There was none of it of us. It's all of God. Christ paid the debt. Notice what it says. He scourged him. The soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. There they called together the whole band and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head. Notice, take, take note of this. We, we read this. It's just a reading, isn't it? 
something that happened. It's, it's all sanitized as we read this. You know, it's like, it's like something that's been sugar-coated for everyone because we read it with different eyes. What if it was here, just here right now, and there's a man you could see his, his flesh was torn to ribbons and shreds and the blood was streaming from him. What if the man was here and you seen them coming up and people started to come up to punch him in the face and smack him around the head with staffs? Make fun of him. Surely one of us would stand in the gap and say, that's enough, that's enough. Surely one of us, and surely one of them could have done it, but every one of them had a rotten heart, an unregenerate spirit. That's how far we can fall away from God, every single one of us. Can you imagine? And here he says, it says they smote him on the head with a reed. Starting to bash his head. Starting to bash his head. He did spit on him. They spat on him. False worship to him. spot on his beautiful face battered and bruised and bloodied and marred more than any man disfigured nearly bleeding all over spitting on him getting up on their throat The vile spit of man covering his face. I, I got lost in this this afternoon. I've seen him. I just see him. It's like I'm there and I'm like, Lord. It's like the Holy Ghost just takes you there. He just transports you to the place and you can't you can't look at it. You can't you can't fix your eyes on it properly because if you do, it will break you. It would be the end of you. And Isaiah says Isaiah fifty three and three and five, pardon me, he was wounded. He was wounded. Sounds good. Already had a little wound. Isaiah, I wish you had told us more. The Spirit of God drawing the prophet, as it were, even to the foot of the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. Why did he die? For my transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And a chastisement. It sounds like he got a little scalp, wasn't it? A telling off. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. With the stripes we are healed, and all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. Oh, we all go our own way. We all do our own thing. And we don't want to know the Lord nor Christ. That's how we started this out, how the house of Israel were. Now the Lord's looking at Judah and warning them. We've all gone away like sheep. They don't want to know the Lord. We, we turn from the Lord. Uh, we're too busy for the Lord with our, our work or our family or with what we do or what we want. We're just too busy for you, Jesus. And we don't want you in society anymore. 
and the Lord hath led on him. Imagine, son, somebody has to pay. Son, somebody has to go. It'll scar all of heaven and none of the angels can pay. Nor the seraphim, nor the cherubim, nor the fantastical beasts that we read about. None of them can pay. Father, I'll go. I'll go and I'll pay his debt. I'll pay his debt. Verse 20 says, And when they had mocked him, they took all the purple from him put on his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So, Brothers and sisters, we see how this in Isaiah 50 through the spirit of prophecy is being fulfilled in Christ. The pre-incarnate speaking through the prophet to the incarnation of the Lord Jesus to come and bleed and die for us. And moving quickly and we're going to have to close again. I don't want to keep this too long. It was longer this morning than I thought. Go with me to verse 7. And the Lord God will help me, therefore I shall not be confounded. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. I know that I shall not be ashamed. See the term here, the Lord God will help me. There nearly seems to be a contradiction in Scripture here speaking of Christ. Because if you remember that in Matthew 27... And in verse 46, he's hanging on the cross and he cries, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted as my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's as though the Lord God doesn't help him. Is there a contradiction between Matthew 27 and Isaiah 50 here? No, not at all. Not at all. Notice here, the Lord God did help him. His father did help him. As a baby, he helped him when he warned Joseph to take the baby into Egypt and flee until Herod was dead because he was killing all the infants under two. He helped him. As a child at 12 years of age, as he spoke with the doctors of theology and those of religion of the day in the, in the temple, he, he helped them for he, he spake as one with, with much knowledge. He, he helped them answer all of their questions and he helped his mother Mary find him after three days missing in the temple. He did help him. As a man, he helped them in the wilderness. As we said, he was tempted of the devil and he was with the wild beasts. He's weak. He hasn't eaten or drank nor for 40 days nor 40 nights. Physically emaciated. Notice, physically emaciated. Think about it. Hasn't drank, hasn't ate for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's when the devil comes when you're at your weakest. When you're at your weakest. And you know what? He still didn't fail. And the Father helped him. He sent the angels to minister unto him, we're told. 
The father helped him when he was in Gethsemane and he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy be done. And the father helped him again, sent an angel to minister unto him, to strengthen him in the garden of Gethsemane. So the Lord God did help him. And when he cried, it is finished. He died, he gave up the ghost, and he was laid in the tomb. And but three days later, the father raised him from the dead. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. Listen, on the cross he took our place. On the cross he paid our debt. On the cross he bore our shame. And on the cross he cried, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. (laughs) He says, this is finished. He rose again the third day. Ascended to to heaven. He's glorified and at the right hand of God. One more point and we're finished here. For the Lord God will help me. Turn with me to Hebrews 5. Some of you might know this point. I have spoken on it before. But I, I want to make a point of things here. Hebrews chapter 5 please. I took my jacket off because I'd parboil you up here tonight. And I'm warm even with this on me, so I'll get another drink while you're looking it up. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, please. And for time's sake, let's uh, just let your eye run down to verse 7. Speaking of the Lord Jesus and his Melchizedek priesthood forever. Notice what it says here who in the days of his flesh, that's the incarnation of, of Christ, and who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and that he was heard, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. I take note of this. We'll make this point and we'll close. I have too much material and we'll do something else in the Lord's will next week. Notice this. In verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with, with strong crying and tears, garden of Gethsemane's crying unto God, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's strong, crying. He's supplicating to the Father. He's feeling the pangs of things. It it gives the idea that death was starting to encompass him. He was aware of the darkness around him. And he had never known this separation between him and his Father before. This was coming upon him. And then at the cross, it happened. He knew it. He foreseen it. And the pressure of it all, the weight of it all, was upon him, thinking he would die in Gethsemane when he needed to be at the cross. So I want you to see this. For those who think Jesus did not come to die for us, but rather he died because men took him. I want you to see that he came to die personally for you personally. I want to say it again. Jesus came to die for you personally. He came personally for you personally. He came with the intention to die. 
who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Notice, save him from death. Ah, you see, he cried and he prayed and he supplicated that the Father wouldn't let him die. That's what they're saying. He was crying and he didn't want to die. No, he came to die. I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove it to you in a minute. Yeah, the, the little words here that was able to save him from death. He's praying to his father to save him from death, says the Hebrew writer. See the little word from, F-R-O-M. You write this down. It's a little word underneath it, ak, E-K, ak, E-K. Write it under the word from, from. Now there are two words, to, well, two main words in the Greek text that, for the word from. One is ek, the little E-K that we're telling you, and the other one is apo, A-P-O. And the apo means from the edge off, from the edge off. Ak means out from within. Let me tell you what I mean by this. If you'll go with me, if you want, keep your finger there on that chapter in case we need to go back to it. If you go with me, say to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, please. It's a bit like a Bible study as well as a preach tonight, but Matthew chapter 1. And just for time's sake, you do it with all of these in this chapter, but for time's sake, verse 8, 16. Matthew 1, verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. See where it says, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, that is the Virgin Mary, of whom was born Jesus. See the word off, off, it's ak, it's the same word for from there in Hebrews 5 and 7. You write ak there. And then when you go to verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was in this wise, when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child off the Holy Ghost. Off the Holy Ghost. Off is the same. Ak. E-K. In other words, out of the Holy Ghost. And what it's saying is here that Jesus came out from within of Mary. Born from the womb of Mary. Grew as a baby like every baby does inside the womb of Mary. And came through the matrix of her womb. It means to go without from within. He came right out from Mary. And he was birthed, not by Joseph, but off, right from out of the Holy Ghost. Birthed out of the the fatherhood of God. Birthed through the Holy Ghost in the womb of Mary. Out from within. Out from within. Now when Jesus in Hebrews 5 and verse 7, and it says, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that is his father, that was able to save him from death. He isn't crying, will you stop me dying? Don't let me die, Father. The word from means out from within. And what it means is he was going right into death as he was in Mary's womb. He was in the Holy Ghost. In other words, he's God. He's a very eternal spirit himself. Out from the Father's heart. The idea is here, he was out from within. In other words, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. They're going to, they're going to take me. and They're going to put me in a tomb. And I'm going to be in the realms of the dead. I'm going to be dead. In the heart of it. In the midst of it. Dead means dead. 
He says, but Father, I'm praying now because I know you're going to bring me out from the dead. The act means out from within. You will bring me from death unto life. You will raise me on the third day. Out from the grave, he arose. That's what it means. Don't let anybody pull the wool over your eyes. Jesus didn't want to come and die. He came to die. And he was praying, Father, I know I'm going right into death, right into the heart of it, right into the midst of death. But I know, Father, I may be in a tomb and my body may be dead, but I know that you will raise me again on the third day. Out from within. He's supplicating, crying, for the Lord God will help me. You know what it says? Isaiah 50, it says, since he does that, I'll set my face like a flint. Notice, I give my back to the smiters. Well, pardon me, on down. In verse 7, for the Lord God will help me. I shall not be confounded. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint. In Luke 9, and in verse 51, it says of the Lord Jesus, it says, he sat his face. The Greek means he steeled, like steel. He made his face like steel, like none would hinder, none could hold him back. There's nothing else in his view. It meant he steeled his face. He set his face like a flint to go on to Jerusalem, to the cross. And Peter stands front of him. Lord, be it far from thee to go to the cross. Be it far from thee to go to Jerusalem. They'll slay you there. They'll kill you. Get thee behind me, Satan, he says unto heaven. Thou savest not the things of God, but the things of man. Steal his face. For the Lord God, I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to die for a lot of wretched sinners. But I'm going to bring grace and mercy that they might be saved. I'll go right into death itself. And my Father, you will bring me out from within. You will raise me again on the third day. Brothers and sisters, I have too much material. We'll stop there tonight. Here's what I'm saying tonight to round us up. Some of us were further down the mud pile than others. Some of us were in the mar, in the muck, stuck fast in the clay and the pit. Some of us were further up it, but nevertheless, all of us were sinners. And he says, I'm come. And I'm going to do all of this, and I'll go through all of this. And I'm talking about myself. You can talk about yourself if you're saved. And I came to die for that man there, that wretch. And men say, oh, I'll get to heaven and we're all going anyway and I'll be a good person and I'll do many works and sure I'll go to church and all of this stuff. Listen, it's all like filthy rags before God. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Your church and trusting in your denomination, if that's what you're doing, your church and trusting in your denomination, if that's what you're doing, in this church or any church, if that's what you're doing, will take you to hell. 
But if you turn to Christ and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart, he'll take you to heaven because he's paid your debt. May God bless his word to you tonight. May God bless his word. Scribe it on our hearts. May you seek. I, I trust you've... I trust you have brought you around the Calvary afresh to show you the beautiful Son of God and to love him. I love him. Who loves him? Unashamed. I'm unashamed. I'm on the camera and there be thousands watch it. I don't care. I'm unashamed. And I'm unafraid to say I love the Lord Jesus Christ. After what he's done for me, he who has been forgiven much will love much. Tim, would you come up, please?